0: Can someone tell me how XRP is still at number six on the rankings of market cap? Bro, what's XRP? <laughs> <laughs> actually, actually, just just on the
1: front of absolute shitcoins. I saw a tweet about Cardano the other day where someone was tuning Solana because one of their validators shut down and left the network. Um, basically saying Solana is a really risky asset, it's going to zero, it's the next L1 to fail after Terra Luna. And then someone comments below, Cardano for life.
0: And I just I just really want Alex Becker to see that. <laughs> oh my <laughs> so. yeah. Send it his way. Send it his way. We'll get another one of his um that, that's a, his higher that's education scams. Yeah.
2: Like I'm I'm looking at the, the top ten right now and you're right, XRP is Six, Cardano is
0: seven. They've been sitting there solidly. I mean, <clears throat> I wonder how long it takes. It's going to take until we have to change our opinion on them, if ever. you not. you not going to. You're not, not going to like that. Um,
1: Even if Cardano overtakes Ethereum one day, I'll still call it a shit coin. <laughs> 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 my pride, my
0: pride uh, is there, uh,
1: <laughs> I I hope you're, back on
0: it. Well that just gives you that just gives you the an idea of the size of the man's ego, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'll hold you to oh, that look. Q. Um But right, let's 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 kick off the show. Uh welcome back everyone to episode twenty six of the Web3 Show. I'm here with the Wizards. Uh, but we've actually rebranded over the past week to uh, the bag holders of Terra Luna, uh, because last week we were out there um, thinking we were scooping up some some Terra for uh, some Luna for uh, dirt cheap prices, and it just went just went low. We were all uh we were all comparing our bags last week. Uh, I think it was about Wednesday um, when we were going through our when the market just absolutely crashed. Um, and we were just licking our wounds, and then we all realised we had all uh, bought Luna on the dip, and and uh, it, it's probably not going to end well. But yeah, the bag—it's—it's it's my privilege to to as always bring you the the bag holders of Terry Luna, um, your guy in TradFi who is rumoured to who, who allegedly participated in the targeted attack of Terry Luna from uh, Wall Street, working with working <laughs> with Wall Street. And we've got uh, Q to deal some red pulls about the market, where it currently is. Um, I know he will, as always. And I'm Luca, the front man. Okay, boys, where, where do you want to go? I, I think uh, even though it's getting sunnier in Europe, I think we're definitely heading into a crypto winter, uh, even though the market maybe doesn't say so. Q, maybe do you want to give your brief market update and we'll have more of a conversation of where we find ourselves um, since last week. Obviously, we went all the way down and we're, we're coming up. We're actually at a 30,000 Bitcoin as of this morning. So Q, give us your perspective on where, we, where we're currently sitting.
1: Yeah, well, let's just, let's just zoom out a little bit before we dive into kind of the short-term possibilities for Bitcoin. Um, just just to kick off with, right now, you know, we are moving as we mentioned in the past couple of episodes. Now we're moving into this economic recession or financial reset, and basically with that, a lot of people are looking to take advantage of these great buy opportunities because everything's pretty cheap at the moment. Um, what most don't realize is they are very logical levels for a reset to reach before we actually bottom out, and while no one will ever call the bottom of a dip or anything like that. Like we know Terra Luna was an infinite dip. Um, you know, you can kind of make arguments for logical levels. And the logical levels for the NASDAQ and S&P in my opinion at least, is the pre-COVID 2020 crash highs where we're still in a relatively uh, forward-looking market structure. We weren't having mindless money printing and there wasn't a lot of inflation and manipulation in traditional finance. And a reset to those levels to kind of bring us back down to the original trends that we deviated from in traditional stocks would make sense in my mind. So with that, every other risk on asset is kind of at the mercy of the the traditional stock markets as well as the Fed. And as we know, the Fed is trying to counter inflation because inflation, we just got the 8.3% CPI rise which is a little bit less of a rise, but still an increase in inflation levels. So things on that front are not cooling down, which means the Fed is likely to implement a more hawkish stance, which will send us down further because people will be shifting off to risk off assets. This likely will lead to the stock, the S&P and the NASDAQ reaching those pre-COVID 2020 highs before this whole kind of money printing began. With that, Bitcoin is likely to come down, and I know we've we've spoken about the 20 to 22K, 24K zone, anywhere in that range. You know, at 24K, we've got 200 week EMA, 22K, we've got 200 week SMA, you know, 20K, we've got the psychological resistance of previous all-time high, I mean, support of previous all-time high. So there's a lot of zones in there that we could possibly go down to tag if we are to see more capitulation in the markets, which I think is a strong possibility. Now, before we see this market properly turn around, we could definitely see some short-term relief across the board for risk on assets. But in my opinion, the bigger shift in the market will come later in the year, probably in quarter four, when we see the Fed pivot um, into a more dovish stance once they've battled inflation and there's a new re-elections coming up in the U.S., so I wouldn't be surprised if we get 75 basis point interest rate hikes coming up in the, in the following months, maybe even higher, we'll just have to see, um, until we bring down inflation, well, until the Fed brings down inflation to a reasonable level. And then from that point, we get that beautiful rounded bottom on the risk on assets. And for Bitcoin, that would be an amazing three to six month consolidation period between 24 and 20K. Get a nice rounded bottom, have a few little shakeout wicks sub-20K to get people scared, flush out as much retail as possible before the Fed makes the pivot and we ultimately start climbing again. And what I do think will be possible is from that point, we'll slowly start to see an increase in price. It's not going to be a drastic bull run, but we will likely see bear market rallies as we did coming out of the 2018 dip as it consolidated on the 200-week EMA. So right now on a macro level, so medium term, Um, it is very likely that we do see those low 20s for Bitcoin. The probability, obviously nothing in crypto, nothing in in trading is guaranteed. Everything's based on probabilities. And the probability lies with the bearish scenario. There's too much negative confluence in the markets for things to suddenly go back up into a bull market here. And with the dip we saw in Bitcoin last week, you know, we tagged 25K, some exchanges hit 24.5, which means we put in a lower low on the daily and weekly structures. So this essentially means we have broken that trend <clears throat> drastically. So a relief push here in the short term makes sense. You know, we've got a lot of bottoming out and indicators and that kind of has played into the bounce of 25, pushing all the up to 31,500 again. But right now what we're doing is we're sitting in quite a tight range between 28,8 and 31,5. And I know a lot of the guys that are on a lot of alpha trading groups that I'm in, they're all scalp trading this range until they see otherwise. But I think the general bias as long as we start getting flushed out of the market is that we're going to go down for one more leg and then get that beautiful rounded bottom. So short term, a relief push here would make sense because we've got a bottoming out of all the indicators. Um, we could even see a relief push to 35, 36K. But either way, if we get rejected here or we'll have that relief push, We're going to be going down to those low 20K levels, in my opinion. The only way we invalidate that move would be if Bitcoin can rally above 42.5 and consolidate a few daily candles above $42,500 level, putting us back into the medium of that ascending channel that we were in, which is inherently a bearish continuation pattern, but we could invalidate this entire move as a bear trap. That's the only way out of this right now. And how and likely, likely? How likely is that actually, Q? Very unlikely. There, there's there's just too many people have been run have chased away from the market now because of what happened with Terra Luna. You know, we had billions of dollars exit the, the market. You know, there, there's been so much negativity around a lot of things. People are now doubting Solana. People are doubting all these different ecosystems. You know, people have lost a lot of their stable coins. Which stable coins do they trust? We had Tether almost de last week. So there, there's a lot of people that are scared in the market and a lot of guys sitting in cash and they don't want to go there. And, you know, that, that kind of plays into the fact that people are not ready to buy just yet because people don't have enough money to buy anything. And I know the guys on the All In podcast had an epic piece to say about this, talking about this financial reset is that most people don't have enough capital to deploy into the market as it continues to dip because they're already fully allocated. So buyers are exhausted at the moment. And while there are a big portion of guys that sit on cash, most of them are waiting for the lower levels because the probability lies that we're going there. If it doesn't and we get back into that forty two thousand five hundred zone, there's always retests in the market for people to re enter. So it's not like you're going to be missing out on a massive range um, in you know the bigger scheme of things. But yeah, it's more likely that we break to the downside. And just going very short time frame on the four hourly, we are forming there's two potential patterns here. There's a descending broadening wedge, which is inherently bullish. If we get rejected at this resistance level now, which we're at at the moment, 31.5, um, we will see capitulation down to the bottom support of that broadening wedge, which is exactly at 21,600. Um, Or we could be playing out a bearish pennant, which is a continuation pattern for the downtrend that we're in, also with a target of 24 to 22k. So we just got to see which one plays out first. Um, If we do get through the resistance and break out of the descending broadening wedge, we will likely see that 35, 36k relief rally before coming down again. But in order for Bitcoin to get through into a bullish phase again, it's going to be very tough. There's so many moving averages, resistance zones. It's just going to be a lot of work, and a lot of liquidity needs to flood into the market to get us through those levels.
0: It, it, it does tie into that whole uh, the whole ethos of you know selling may go away and uh, and you know basically come back later in the year for for the next sort of cycle. I, d- I don't know if that's going to happen. I think maybe things are more uncertain in terms of the next twelve months. Um, but well, well, just just think about it. I mean,
1: if we if we do go down to that previous all time high. You know, historically, I, I spoke about the 200-week SMA last week in the podcast. Historically, that's been the best buy opportunity. And you know, while looking at fractals and Bitcoin's price history is maybe not 100% accurate in this circumstance because this is the first time ever Bitcoin and cryptocurrency is going to experience an economic reset. So it could get brutal. It could even pump, for all we know. You know, it's uncharted territory. But you know, history repeats until it doesn't. So it, if it is the case that we go down to those levels, I mean, Benjamin Cohen shared a really interesting thing the other day: is that that these top 100 whale wallets that hold the most Bitcoin out of all the Bitcoin holders globally, and usually their accumulation periods in history have started two weeks prior to the price turning a reversal and going up, and they have just started their accumulation as of a day ago, or two days ago, I think it was. It was over the weekend, so basically the bottom is, is is coming. You know, it could very well be that 25K was the bottom. You know, we might not go down to tag those lower levels, but I wouldn't be surprised if we'd see one more little shakeout before we truly see some push forward. And we know when there's huge wicks to the downside, we likely consolidate down to fill all those kind of imbalance orders and then bounce and do a reversal from that period as we saw last year in the kind of May to July bear period that we had.
0: Yeah, you know I mean, Q, you're, you're calling for a potential, you know, almost a 25% dip in the S&P, which I think it's 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 due for, especially with the setup, you know, uh, referring people to the all-in pod who do a great summary of the macro environment and the risks inherent in the next 12 months. Um, basically, I think the setup does lead to that. And with, will crypto be able to hold out um, if the S&P drops 25%? Unlikely to, right? Um, yeah,
1: but yeah. In- I mean, there's 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 a complete shift away from risk on assets at the moment. It's very clear. You know, you've got Dixie pumping, you've got stocks, Bitcoin, all risk on assets dropping. You know, you've got the Fed raising interest rates. Things are going nuts. Like it, it makes sense that we're in a risk off environment where cash is king. Um, maybe gold to an extent, but even gold took a bit of a hit the other day. Um, so it's it's very clear that regardless of short-term volatility on a macro level, we're in an economic reset right now. And it makes sense for us to continue going down as we're putting in lower lows and we're putting in lower highs. There's been no signal of a trend reversal on a macro scale yet in NASDAQ, in the S&P or in Bitcoin.
0: Luca, I want to bring you in here. Uh, we were all sitting last week uh, around Tuesday, Wednesday. Obviously, we we had our episode last week. Uh, UST had depegged slightly, and, uh, we, we were sort of saying, you know, this could, this could get worse. I, I, don't think we all imagined how, how bad it could get so quickly. You know, we're sitting this week now with, uh, UST currently trading around 13 cents, completely depegged in no man's land. I mean, I don't even know. This is, this is less than, you know, a penny, basically, Terra now. Um, you know, Te- Luna, the Terra's governance token. So what was your perspective of the crash last week, especially the implosion in, in the Terra ecosystem, the stable coin? Um, how were you feeling after the, the whole market capitulation last week? And, and what's your outlook for for Terra, especially and maybe in, in, the, in the broader market?
2: Yeah, I mean, it
1: was... I I thought you were lost in some of those champagne breakfasts
0: again. Yeah, mind. I was about to say no, 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 no. too many mimosas.
2: No, look, I think um, there are only a few times since I've been in crypto where I felt as dreadful as I felt um, the past couple of days. Not because of losses in my portfolio, but just in general, kind of this overwhelming sense of defeat. And, you know, maybe, you know, that, that obviously adds into this whole kind of uh, weighing up of probabilities that, you know, this could have been the bottom. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but uh, this this definitely felt like uh, the end, almost. <laughs> you know, when, when, when Tether started depegging, pegging I was like, there, there will be no way you can get out of this. Uh, it's over, basically. Uh, not quite, but uh, I really started to feel uh, almost fear. You know, and, and I guess uh, it's, it's easy to say, okay, buy the blood, uh, but when it is flowing through the streets, uh, you're often uh, just sitting in awe. And I have to be honest, uh, that was really uh, what, what it, the, the experience was from my perspective, it was just complete awe. You know, 60 to $80 billion, an entire ecosystem wiped out. Um, it was definitely something to behold. I mean, on, on the one side, you know these sort of collapses are a net positive for the environment uh, because you know sensitive infrastructure is basically wiped out. You've got this natural natural selection process in crypto, kind of a hallmark of the space, right If your protocol if the code is weak, you get exploited. you know if your if your bridge uh, code is weak the the bridge gets broken you know, and you've got an ecosystem stranded on the other side. Um, And in this case, I I mean, in this case, it it was, you know, although there was risk of kind of contagion, it was very much an ecosystem collapse on Terra. I mean, you had this push from Duke One, the founder um, of Terraform Labs, to basically create liquidity outside of the ecosystem. But really uh most of the value that was wiped out was native to to the L1 so it was quite interesting i mean you had you really had this uh layer one implosion i mean that ecosystem is gone in its uh, in its previous state there's no there's no way to restore it easily i mean there's talk of potentially forking the chain uh but it what, what it looks like more is is a kind of not not really a bailout, but effectively a liquidation of the uh, l f g reserves effectively to make holders uh, at least partially whole again and kind of moving on to a new thing right and that's, that's the luna the really,
0: lunar foundation guard who is accumulating bitcoin you know as a form of collateral for for u s t
2: yeah, so I think the collapse goes back to two points basically. And on the one, it was a systemic vulnerability. That's clear, right? Like UST was growing at an exponential rate because liquidity was incentivized outside of the Terra ecosystem. Um, And you had centralized management, uh, which handled the crisis quite poorly, I would say. So you had a loss of confidence and effectively a almost a bank run where you had a corridor to basically get out of UST and into Luna uh, but that corridor was only of limited size and on top of that because that corridor uh, kind of the exit was Luna and Luna was spiraling out of control because it's a highly levered asset you know again denominated in confidence basically in the ecosystem Uh, you had a really violent breakdown Um, yeah so it was uh, (laughs) Uh, it was wild. So I, I mean, the current proposal on the table is basically that you know holders might get you know ten to thirty percent overall of the UST paid out. Basically, uh, there is another proposal on. So so that would be kind of if you just took uh, all holders together. There's another proposal to make small holders whole again. Um, kind of with the view that, you know, the bigger holders took the bigger risk, um, and to kind of make the community whole, uh, as far as possible. But it is, it it really is over. And I think that is, it, it kind of reminded me, um, you know, John T, we were sitting <laughs> on a call looking at our UST at 98 cents saying, should we get out now? And we kind of, we made the decision, okay, let's get out. And the reason is, is that we all know deep down that in crypto things do collapse, things do implode. There is no backstop, right? And it was just, uh, I will say it again, awe-inspiring, seeing seeing $60, $80 billion billion wiped out in a matter of days.
0: Well, what a a great call you guys made because essentially it, it only went down... From there, and I mean, what what I'm what I've been sort of grappling with, I guess that you you know you've got this whole debate now over you know algorithmic stablecoins, and you know are they are they just is the is that the blueprint essentially that it's destined to fail? Um, obviously, you know you, you had uh, Q, I think you mentioned it last week, Justin Sun, um, who's made the the a new stablecoin USDD right on the Tron on The Tron network, who which is also algorithmic, so let's see what happens there. But was this all always destined to happen? And we we saw maybe you guys can pick apart how you know, um, uh, Terraform Lambs and, and Luna Fund the, the Luna Foundation Guard reacted to UST starting to depeg. Um, you know, did they were they were they smart in their in their you know. Use of the, the Bitcoin they they had um, accumulated to, uh, to sort of backstop any violent depegging event. And was it always destined to happen like this? Could they have done anything better? Could Duquan have done anything better? Q, what's your thoughts?
2: Have we lost Grinette?
0: Yeah I thought I thought I had uh, I was the one who got kicked out but uh Luca maybe you can elaborate for now while, yeah. we, while we get him back
2: <laughs> Well well basically uh you had a stablecoin that was what, almost 20 billion dollars Um Luna was worth uh, uh quite a bit more than that Um and the pay, uh, how much did they have in reserves again Lucas I mean like I think at I,
0: th- I think again. at the time they had about 3 billion dollars in Bitcoin. Obviously, their 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 target was to get to ten billion over a considerable amount of time, but I think they had about three billion at the time when they started deploying.
2: Yeah, so three billion, three billion plus, you know, other assets. So three billion in Bitcoin, basically. This thing starts depegging, right? And obviously, you've got order books on all these exchanges, and what they did was basically send funds to market makers to trade on these exchanges for them, effectively. Uh, to keep the keep the peg off and prevent exactly what ended up happening, which is mass redemption. For Luna. Um, but so basically, in in a matter of days, they depleted um, they depleted their Bitcoin reserves effectively just market buying uh, UST on multiple exchanges. Now, of course, it's 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 easy to say in hindsight, okay, well, you know, maybe that wasn't the best strategy. Uh, In the moment, I guess they had limited options, Um, right? I think, I I guess with algorithmic stable coins, the idea, right, is that these things do fluctuate, but then market forces bring them back to a dollar. I think what happened was effectively you had centralized management kind of make a, uh, almost, almost tie the, the, the entire kind of their function effectively to this thing maintaining its $1 level, plus minus 2%. Right. So you have this algorithmic stablecoin, which is inherently uh, a design that allows uh, for fluctuation. And then you've got centralized management which comes on top and says, no, we want to limit this to 2%. So effectively forcing kind of a $20 billion uh, stablecoin into kind of a narrow range, right?
0: So so you've got got a decentralized soup with uh, sprinklings of of centralization trying to make it tasty. That's the best analogy I could come up with. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I
1: dropped out there. Okay, we got him back. back? Yeah, I'm back. Sorry about that, guys. Good to have you. Uh, like I mean look irrespective to, to bot test me <laughs> yeah
2: yeah <laughs> you know irrespective of whether this thing was attacked or not, I think the key thing to just remember is that this algorithmic stable coins are by design led by market forces effectively in their value right so you you're basically trying to force something uh to be, uh, uh, for, for lack of a better word, stable when, when actually in situations like this, it should fluctuate, right? Well, it should fluctuate. And, and, and here's the thing. If, if people are if, – if, if, say, they had let this thing basically crater, right, initially, and people are offloading the UST, you know, it would then also have been cheaper to come in at a later point and start buying it all up at $0.10 cents rather than at 98 they basically exhausted all their Bitcoin reserves at the highest kind of uh, price where they had said they would step in. Whereas they could have basically bought ten times as much USD uh, if they had just let market forces uh, play out.
0: They panic bought in essentially. They,
2: they, they, they panic bought because they could see the bank run happening, right? So I think I guess they were stuck between a rock and a hard place. On the one hand, strategically, definitely it would make sense to buy the u s t back absorb it from the market at a cheaper price but on the other hand you know if you wait too long right and it looks like terraform labs uh is not going to be able to come in and uh restore the peg. i mean even even that whole narrative right that they're responsible for restoring the peg is just flawed because it's an algorithmic stablecoin. that whole seniorage model uh would eventually i guess uh,
0: risk or the pig you'd expect something similar you, you know you'd expect that of you know circle or paxos because they're holding reserves behind the stable coin exactly essentially yeah.
1: well that, that's where that's where most retail got wrecked because a lot of uh, a lot of people locked in anchor was obviously there was a large portion of small investor retail people who had ust locked into the savings protocols on terra luna and essentially, you know, not a lot of them understood that they're different kinds of stable coins and they all peg differently. And, you know, a lot of uh, there, there was a couple I know there was a lot of uh, like push from influencers and things like that to get people to use Anchor because of that crazy API. You know, UST is this unstoppable stable coin and all these things. But no one really ever took the time to explain exactly how UST maintained its peg. And a lot of new investors that came, I mean, I had easily about 30 calls last week, guys contacting me for help or asking what to do or why this happened, not understanding what's going on. And, you know, this, the scariest thing was that majority of them didn't even know how UST maintained PEG. They just were completely clueless about it. They said, well, how can it do this? Surely it's one-to-one to the dollar. So it, it, it's it's almost, you know, circle is doing it right by actually having a dollar in the bank for every usdc you hold but i think the biggest issue with this whole scenario and why people lost so much is because there was just a lack of understanding of what actually is algorithmic stable coins versus collateralized
0: stable coins and being attracted by you know the 20 percent apy not understanding yeah. the full risks i mean i yeah. mean we, we we even sat here i i guess you know, I I did it my I had it myself. Where you know you never think such a system could succumb to a collapse like this. You don't you don't imagine it, right? After it's been through. Because correct me if I'm wrong, um, guys, when when we had the COVID COVID crash in 2020, I think I believe UST also pe- de-pegged down to about 0.85. Um, uh, I read last 0. Night 9, and, 0.91
1: cents was its low. On right, the COVID right, crash. yeah. But so so, but so I guess I
0: guess that gave people confidence that it could come out of that, that it could come back to an but extent. Back
1: then, back then Luna was sub a billion dollars. UST even smaller. The, the, the big thing is that it grew so fast because of that twenty percent savings. So back then that DPEG of about ten cents, let's call it, was easily corrected within a couple of hours by arbitrages. And the mechanism worked. But the moment this ecosystem ballooned into 40, 50 billion plus in this like, ecosystem between UST or the stablecoins and Terra, you know, it's, it became a lot harder to maintain that peg because there was just so much more money involved. You know, mm-hmm. and this obviously then gave birth to the idea of the Bitcoin reserve. And it just, I don't know, I think, I think when, when something's smaller in market cap and there's less money to worry about, it's a lot easier to restore value. But the moment you have rapid growth within the space of not even 12 months, it's, you know, what, July last year was when Terra started to really boom. You know, you're like nine, 10 months down the line, and it's suddenly gone from sub a billion to a $40 billion industry. And people kind of didn't ever think to themselves, well, this ecosystem needs to go through a stress test. You know, everyone trusts the system, 20% APY, I mean, even I did. Um, you know, it's it's almost like they're $40 billion, it's given, it's going to work, it's impossible for them to fail. But what most didn't realize is that it had never gone through a stress test being a billion-dollar-plus-valuated company, you know, supposedly offering these savings products and decentralized stablecoins and things like that, and claiming that it's got this arbitrage paid mechanism, and it's got this reserve function, and it's safe, it's safe, it's safe, but it's never been tested. And unfortunately... It was a targeted test <laughs> which went too far and broke the ecosystem. <laughs> but, you know, it it, it 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 was bound to happen at some point. Maybe not as brutal and drastic as last week. But it was bound to have a big depegging event. But you know, we all would have hoped that by that stage they would have had their BTC reserve um, automation in place, but they had to do everything manually, which just slowed things down and yeah, just spiraled so it's
0: i think it's a big a big yeah. lesson for all of us that uh you know to to question question everything in crypto i guess a lot of people you know a lot of money is going to be lost but uh i, I guess a uh, good lessons lessons learned that not every protocol is uh, stable and that there are there is actually you know still fragility in these in these protocols and
2: and and maybe just one more point you know i think this idea of a risk free rate and kind of a DeFi benchmark right was also this narrative which was peddled a lot um and of course you know setting a benchmark rate of 20% for DeFi um i mean in hindsight it was ridiculous right I mean I mean 20% the the spread between traditional markets and crypto in, in terms of the risk free rate it, it just just could not actually be justified right and this whole stablecoin farming narrative i mean it was storied yields but at the end of the day everything in crypto is exposed to at the very least smart contract risk right and this this idea of risk free yield it's very much an an artifact of probably crypto social media more than fact.
1: So so just 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 on that point of twenty percent being the new benchmark, it kind of introduced from what I from what I gathered from a lot of the kind of interactions I've had with guys who really took a hit over the last couple of weeks on on this whole Terra Luna stuff and and you know with Bitcoin pulling back and all of that is a lot of guys with. Massive portions of their life savings in Anchor never took out insurance on those funds. Because they didn't want to sacrifice 20% for 17%. And I remember Luca and I were going to do insurance at one point on a holding that we had in there like a year ago. You know, it was a bit of time ago. And we we calculated it that the insurance coverage would remove about 3% of your APY. So for 17%, you would have been able to insure your entire Anchor lockup through Anchor protocol against any DPEG risk, or you could have taken insurance out against a smart contract failure. So the one thing that, that boggled me is guys had like 40, 50 percent of their portfolios in Anchor, you know, earning yields and some guys even more. Some guys had their life savings, their kids college funds in there. But they didn't take insurance out because they didn't want to sacrifice three percent and that like gave a level of greed like everyone was too confident led by a very arrogant guy that kind of gave a misguided confidence to everyone else and yeah it's, it was just really interesting that not a single person that i had interacted with took out insurance on their anchor protocol when some of them had large large portions of their life savings in those in that protocol
2: to 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 build on that John T I mean I saw a tweet yesterday which was really interesting regarding the different insurance options for ust and the depegging. pegging and again you know you've, you' you've you now had this major stress test, i think uh, with the collapse of the lunar ecosystem um and that definitely extended i think to insurance providers, so you had these divergent outcomes across uh, multiple insurance options, basically, uh, where some would say, you know, yes, uh, it's insurance against a loss of funds, but right, like this, the 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 depegging is not actually a loss of funds because you know you still have your USD. So it's it's like the, the, the this is like the, the whole industry. <laughs> The whole industry is going to take a step forward, right? Because, you know, you look at the insurance things, they've never really been tested, right? John, when did that insurance narrative start coming? That was maybe a year and a half ago, right? When insurance yeah, it was, became it was a big thing?
1: Beginning of 2021. I remember I played that insurance narrative end of 2020,
2: beginning of 2021. <laughs> yeah. Bridge Mutual. <laughs> Bridge Mutual, my boy. <laughs> but, but, but so it was really interesting because, you know, you had these different insurance protocols, basically. You had very divergent outcomes in terms of, you know, so some some of the protocols basically have, uh, you know, the price. In order for you to be paid out for your for your uh, um, for the depeg event, the the time weighted average price uh, for two weeks has to be below a certain level. You know, so some people uh, couldn't be paid out right away, right? Although it was quite evident that UST had DPEG'd. Um some were not paid out at all. Like in the event where they said, "Well, it's not really a loss of funds," and then Risk Harbor was one example where uh, they actually paid out basically right away, and it was it was fascinating to read. You basically took your AUST from Anchor um, and you basically deposited it on the platform um, on the Risk Harbor platform, and you received USDC in return. And, and it was just awesome seeing that in practice. You know, it was a it was a tiny fraction. I mean, we're talking about maybe a pool, an insurance pool of $12 million, right? But still the infrastructure, it was there, it worked for those people, which took the, the DPEG uh, insurance. Um, yeah, they fascinating, really, these division outcomes among insurance protocols. Yeah, so,
0: the, I mean, so these, instru- are, we, are we looking at this insurance of, of sort of becoming a bigger thing because of this, especially in the, you know, the, the the algorithmic think- stable coin uh, sort of arena?
1: I'm- I mean, what what what's interesting is a lot of these insurance uh, protocols are completely independent of all the platforms. So, I, I guess there's a there's a bit of friction to finding and using them in a sense that Anchor Protocol had it right, where on the platform, right above your deposit button, there was an insurance option. You know, but most DeFi protocols don't have that. But if you go and you really search and look for the reputable insurance funds. You'll basically be able to see that they offer X amount of coverage for certain pools locked across the DeFi space. You know, whether it be Solana, you know, whether it be on AVAX or Ethereum or wherever it is, you know. And there's, there's massive coverage pools for a lot of these different um, sort of DeFi ecosystems. So I do think, especially with the scale of Tether, you know, depegging to 94 cents, I think there's definitely going to be a narrative to people taking out insurance on their funds. Especially if they've got large holdings locked in the stablecoin
0: yield generation, rather than secured in banks. Right. I qu- I quickly want to touch on uh, Duquan's uh, um, plan for for Luna Q. I, I think we didn't we didn't get your thoughts earlier when you when you uh, when you got dumped out of the call. Um, what is your perspective on? I know you you sent us the link of his um, his proposal. Uh, last night, and I had a read through. I mean, I, I'm, I, I guess I'm still grappling with it to an extent, and sort of going between sort of both sides. Um, but what's your what's your view on what he essentially wants to do, and maybe break down what what exactly he is planning?
1: Well, well, the baseline here is he's going to hard fork Terra and get rid of UST. Um, but the thing that bothers me is that he's going to keep the old chain live with calling the renaming the token to Terra Classic. And then the new chain will become the new Terra Luna, um, and then basically there will be a big airdrop of 100% of the funds. So there's no centralized control; it's completely community owned, if I'm not mistaken. Now, the, the 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 big the biggest issue. I mean, if you guys are if you guys have joined the Discord, we we shared this article. You can give it a full read. It's it's really long, um, but. Essentially, they want to focus on the development side of Terra because some of the best developers in the space were building on the Terra Luna ecosystem. You know, namely with some of the most pioneering um, DeFi protocols as well. Um, You know, you have Mars protocol, which is looking to tackle credit systems and all of that. There there was a lot of innovation happening within that ecosystem. And it kind of makes sense that they don't want that to die. But I don't think a hard fork is going to work. I, I've been involved in a, in a number of hard fork-based projects, and it's, it's completely wishful thinking that a hard forked network will have similar value realization as the original network before its failure. It's, it's complete wishful thinking. And one thing that I can see for sure happening is these tokens will be airdropped you know, they will be decided, will uh, be given value by the open market and probably just dump because there are so many people who have a loss of confidence in Duquan as a founder um, and I think in this whole TerraLuna ecosystem. And additionally, a large portion of the value attraction for Luna, which is now going to be called Luna Classic, was the burn mechanism with UST. The more UST minted, the Luna supply would decrease, will decrease. So, which is going out the window. Which is gone. Well, UST is gone. There's, there's going to be no more algorithmic stablecoins. So the ecosystem, in my mind, is going to become a layer one, you know, rather than a decentralized banking system. So for me, it's going to be very tricky to navigate. And I guess everyone's desperate for an answer. You know, there hasn't been a lot of time. It's been, what, 10 days now since everything happened. Um. And they already come out with a solution, which makes sense because, you know, the whole of crypto Twitter can't stop about Luna at the moment. Um, I know coin's getting like lawsuit threats against him and all those things. Um, so, so in my mind, you know, they're pressed to give, make a decision. And I think this is the logical decision that they've come to. But I just don't know if this is going to be the correct bailout. People are going to just liquidate everything to try to get back some of what they lost. Um you know, and uh, through that, I do see the development, you know, realm coming strong. But I wouldn't be surprised if those networks start shifting onto Cosmos base layer rather than the SDK, um, or if they shift over to other networks like Ethereum and things like that. Um, yeah. To, yeah.
2: To, to build on that, John, T, I mean, there there is, you know, maybe it's worthwhile talking about tangible value, right? You know, you talk about you you spoke about order books. Obviously, you know, in eight million a Eight billion dollar market cap, you know that's not eight billion physical dollars of value there. You know you've got you've got an order book, you've got a certain uh, a bid depth, right? When that bid depth is exhausted, that market cap collapses. You know, so maybe on something like Luna, you know, okay, great, it was a forty billion dollar token, but you know, with the confidence gone, the bid has. Collapsed, right? So even if they airdrop a new thing, you know, there's no guarantee that the bids will be there effectively, and bootstrapping value, uh, overall will be extremely difficult. That being said, you know, there, there are there, there is value in the ecosystem, right? A lot of Terra projects were obviously tied to Anchor um the business proposition you know maybe around protocols an example basically bridging ethereum stable coins into that decentralized savings protocol effectively right so those projects will be gone they, they've been wiped out but there are other things like galactic punks <laughs> 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 i think John, here that that's your pfp here on the app right now you know what was interesting is right there you could see there was tangible value in the project why well because you know, as Luna was tanking, the floor price of these galactic punks basically did like a thousand X, you know, and they're, they're talking about, you know, migrating to optimism. So I think where there is a real community, you know, where there, where there is kind of a bid still after this collapse, like for galactic punks, um, they, they, they will migrate probably and some value will be transferred. But of course, um, a lot of market cap has been wiped out permanently
0: well luca find- it's actually fascinating it's a fac- sorry q i just want to jump in here it's it's no, fascinating no. drawing drawing the line between how something with galactic punks versus terror terror you it's a technology it's a base layer it's 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 a platform that's that things are built on if the technology is fundamentally broken the value then sort of uh sort of excretes out the system and it, and it, and it sort of uh, you know decreases in value quite rapidly as we saw over the past week because there was a flaw in, in the engine in the financial engineering of it or the technology in quotation marks versus Galactic Punks, where which is built on top of the platform but which is unreliant to an extent on the technology where it's community-owned, still giving it value, it can move to optimism and still uh, sort of claw back some of that value that it had on Terra. It's quite an interesting interesting comparison um but yeah sorry i I, uh, jumped it around you
1: no well i i mean it's it's going to be very difficult to navigate how things are going to play out but luca you're definitely right there are you know core communities built around certain projects you know i didn't sell my galactic punk but i know some of them are selling for tens of millions of Luna. you know but Luna is at like 0.0001 so it's like a hundred dollars yeah it's like a couple hundred dollars but you know what? What a lot of people have created FUD around now is the airdrop is allocating towards people who are buying Luna now, and I don't know if this is going to go through or not. But there's a large portion of of tokens um, that's basically going to be allocated towards guys that are that are basically buying Luna now, which I don't know. They, 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 there's a lot that they need to consider. I think that the true airdrop should happen based on the block prior to the first dpeg um i think that's when you know that airdrop should happen because that's when most people were still committed to the network you then have a lot of people with withdraw funds you know and a lot of people liquidate and then take advantage of arbitrage you know some people who who just arbitrage traders trading those lunar swings or the UST swings may advance may take get advantage from this airdrop far greater than long-term Holders that have been positioned in the platform for many, many months now. Well, especially that small retail,
0: so, right? Which, which maybe had a couple of thousand dollars. Exactly.
1: exactly. Especially small retail. So it's going to be very interesting to see how everything goes forward. I suppose there has to be a vote on this now. Um, you know, everything's going to... But uh, basically, bottom line is, yeah, I don't know if Terra Luna will ever be able to retain the value that it originally had.
2: I, I completely you know, agree with you, T. Clearly,
1: um, yeah... I mean, purely just because that that whole the whole value proposition of Terra Luna, the Luna token, was that everyone saw UST booming, and they knew while UST was successful, the Luna token is going to explode in price, and we saw that going from three dollars in July last year to 120 what 125 dollars, you know, that three weeks ago, and that was that boom in the Luna price was not because. People wanted to buy Luna tokens. I mean, they did. But the the bigger demand was for UST and the more UST demanded, the more Luna got burnt. And we were seeing like 10, 20 million Luna a day getting burnt at some points. You know, that is gone. That value is gone. And it's going to be very difficult for Luna to now position itself as another layer one competitor versus other established layer one chains. You know, when originally they had this whole uniqueness about them, they're now just becoming another L1. Bar they're gonna have very innovative developments and things like that, don't take that away from them, but they're now just another layer one. They're one of the 20 in the space. So it's gonna be very, very interesting to see if they can reclaim that value and actually pioneer through this. But one thing I do think needs to happen is a proper rebranding. I don't think maintaining the name Terra Luna it's going to be a good idea because it's just going to be associated with too many people that have PTSD from what Yeah, too triggering. But but
2: do you guys not think, I mean, that whole shop with Duquan and the LFG guys, all of that is a thing of the past, right? I mean, there is just no way a network with a a similar kind of setup. You know, John, you've spoken, you know, great, like apps. Yes, uh, you know, it will probably become another L1. But, you know, if it has a similar branding Duquan is still involved. I give it a, basically a 0% uh, chance of succeeding. Yeah. That's my personal... If, if I had to put money on it, I would bet against it.
0: Because yeah, it, it's I mean, tainted. The whole thing is tainted now from what's happened.
2: Well, I think this yes, Duquan was responsible in large part but, but, for the mismanagement is, of the LFG reserves and for this pushing is also growth this, too hard.
1: This is also his second failure in crypto.
2: What um, was his spicy? I'm just
1: quickly Googling the <laughs> Yeah, I'm just quickly Googling the name, Craig. I forgot the ben, name. But basis was a Cash. Project that he, basis Cash. He created a couple years ago, which he ended up abandoning because it failed. And then he started Terra Luna. And now right. Terra Luna has failed. So it's almost like, is there still confidence in Duquan to pull this off? And when he was succeeding, his arrogance got ahead of him. Will investors trust that again?
0: Yes, his arrogance, his greed, and now you, you sort of see that greed coming through a bit in what he's what he's proposing. So look, uh, also an interesting yeah. observation as we sort of transition, um, I was also reading quite a few tweets in reply to Duquan's proposal, and there were quite a few projects, actually native terror projects, that were pledging their allegiance to him. So I don't know if that's blind or if they really back a resurgence – but I think it's going to be, as you say, Q, It's going to be interesting to see what happens, boys. As we close out the show, I just wanted to get your perspective because obviously you two are building your own crypto fund, um, Snowy Peak, and obviously going through a week like last week. You know, we called it Black Monday last week. Um, in in last week's episode, it, it it was brutal. You know, we we heard Luca's uh, sort of dejected uh, feeling and and what he what what he went through last week. So. I think, could you guys maybe give some perspective to everyone out there in terms of, you know, whether they're traders or long-term investors, you know, especially playing the crypto game, which is, you know, which is a stomach churning at the best of times. How does one, you know, manage emotions? How do you guys manage your emotions through uh, through this downturn and how are you sort of playing your cards currently? and what what sort of front of mind sort of getting in on dips or managing risk or just just to you know give give some takeaways on the market or, and maybe lessons learned about managing emotions and stuff to to people maybe trying to do something similar
2: i can maybe give some some insight i think one of the big learnings jonti um, i'm sure you'll agree was you know you need a market agnostic strategy yeah fundamentally if you're managing based on headwinds or tailwinds your concept is destined to uh look unless you're a highly successful trader uh your concept is is almost destined to flop effectively right for the same reason that reactive investors generally uh come out on the other hand uh poorer than when they started right i think finding a good market agnostic strategy is key to succeeding in a high volatility environment. That would be my main takeaway, right? Because then again, you know, I, th- I think, I think that's the key point, you know, you should buy the blood is right? like the big theme, you know, in investing. But if you don't have a market agnostic strategy, you get pulled into the emotional space as the market is imploding effectively and you can't act. You don't have systems in place to, to leverage the opportunities because by definition, maybe just one more point. By definition, you know, if you are not market agnostic, your exposure is increasing in bullish environments, right? Like you, you're not maintaining effectively kind of a a, a fair split that you're carrying through the cycles, um, and, and then you'll be overexposed on the way down as well.
0: Yeah, that concept of portfolio creep where, where as, you know, if something moons in your portfolio, it, it then, you know, create, uh, forms a bigger proportion of your overall portfolio, giving you more exposure risk. Um, but John, I mean, you manage, you know, a, per, a personal, uh, you know, a big personal portfolio. And obviously, your uh you know, now, now uh, um, endeavors with, SPV, so how have you managed the past week? Quick, quick uh, note on maybe managing emotions, I guess, uh, over the yeah. past week.
1: I mean, it's it's very easy for emotions to creep in when you don't have a base understanding of the space. Um, you know, a lot of people in crypto, they get extremely emotional about their investments and tie to projects and ultimately ride them to zero or continue, keep buying the dips until they, you know, eventually run out of capital to buy more dips. It's, it's because they don't truly understand what they're buying so uh, the the logical approach to the to the market is have your strategy but understand every aspect of that strategy and why you're implementing it and then just stick to it have conviction in what you're doing and no matter what happens you stick to that strategy you know the, it's it's very difficult to remove emotion especially in such like a psychological based markets where you know, market moves, I mean, some people use moon cycles to predict market moves. You know, it's, it's completely human, based on human psyche what's going to happen. You know, and if enough people believe something will happen, it may happen. And that is a level of emotional intellect that you've got to have be, to be able to read that. But the only way to take advantage of it is to just remove your emotion completely, be logical about your approach, and really just have conviction in the system you put in place. And if you don't have a strategy, you will fail. Like Lucas said, you're going to flop if you just try, play the ebbs and flows unless you're an incredibly successful trader, which there are very few of them out there. So the guys that are investing in this space, it's it's important and crucial that you have a base understanding of what you're actually buying. You know, not just, I'm buying Solana to layer one, but Actually, what is Solana? Like, what is its fundamental layer? You know, I'm buying Terra Luna because Duquan is this and UST does that and Anchor does this. But what actually is its purpose? You know, having that base understanding of what you're actually doing will give you conviction in a lot of these ecosystems. Then the next thing is cutting out greed. You know, uh, early in my crypto career, I got very greedy on a lot of positions and I wrote a lot of coins down to basically zero and I lost a lot of money. And, you know, removing that greed, learning to counter that and take your profits is something that's absolutely crucial to making money in the crypto space. Because, you know, there's a stat that it's, it's 90 plus percent of investors in a bull market lose money, where 90 plus investors in a bear market make money. And it just shows the different levels of conviction. When everything's good, everyone wants to buy. That should be your sell. When everything's bad, everyone wants to sell. That should be your buy. Obviously taken with a pinch of salt. And with that, you need to understand basic market structures. Like, you got to understand how dominance works. You know, if Bitcoin dominance is climbing or breaking out of a chart, you know that altcoins are going to bleed for the next couple of weeks. Bitcoin is taking dominance of the market. So don't buy altcoins until the dominance shows an inversion, flips in favor of alts. then start buying the dips. Otherwise, you're buying these dips <laughs> all the way down, and eventually you just run out of capital. So... I guess removing emotion and imply like implying logic comes with a base understanding of what you're actually doing.
2: Yeah. John T., that was well said. And uh, maybe just one more point that I wanted to add and maybe talk people through, you know, how did we get, how did we make our decision to exit UST at 98, right? It was basically like, okay, what's the upside versus downside. And you spoke a lot about risk reward. You know, we, we were sitting at 98 cents and it's like, okay. You know, we can take a 2% hit. We've been earning 20% for many months, right, annualized. Um, You know, we take a 2% hit or the downside risk is we lose our entire stablecoin stack, you know, if it collapses. So we got out at 98 cents. And it it was just a basic risk-reward assessment. In crypto, infrastructure fails. Um, And that, 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 I guess, is maybe just one more point to add on.
0: Yeah, and I mean, risk, that that's risk, also, you know, that, that's logical, that's taking the emotion out of it.
1: Yeah, risk to reward is so essential. If you don't have a risk management strategy, don't ever expect to be successful in crypto. That's, that's the bottom line. You know, everyone likes to ape, but if they don't consider risk. Like, I remember that call where Luca and I sat there together. You know, it was the day before that sale that we sent everything to Binance. This was our Snowy Peak funds um, that we're managing for quite a large number of investors. You know, we just say to ourselves, okay, if this plummets, it's likely that, you know, there's going to be congestion on the network. And it's likely that withdrawals and things like that are probably going to be very slow, which could allow us to which could cause us to miss the opportunity to get out at a good price if this thing goes south. So we sent it over to, you know, an exchange where we have a joint account. And basically the next day we had that call (laughs) and it was, you know, the, the terror, the LFG Bitcoin was the P team. You know, Luna wasn't back above 98 cents yet, or wasn't making its way back to a dollar, I mean, Terra, and it was just kind of like, yeah, just, you just got to have conviction in the calls you make and assess the risk. Um, you know, we we both sat there and said, fuck, if this thing goes back to a dollar, we've got a bit of a 2% explanation to make to our investors, <laughs> but if it goes south, you know, we look like heroes, and yeah, it, it ended up playing in, in the favor of our decision, which which I, like, I'm very chuffed about, but obviously... Yeah, a lot of people got really hurt in what happened. But risk oh, well, everything.
0: Yeah. well, I mean that's that's your uh, brief for everyone for everyone listening. That's your uh, brief masterclass in uh, in investing slash trading from the Q Galactic Q himself. Um, I forgot to mention that uh, the Discord link is in the description for anyone who does want to join um, and. Yeah, thanks, boys, for the for episode 26. Uh, we really appreciate it. Um, and uh, thanks to those who were listening in the live room. Um, we'll see everyone for episode 27. Uh, be safe out there, everyone, and uh, I'll, we'll hopefully see you all on the Discord.